Welcome to All Things Tibet, a podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. We'll be coming to you with brand new episodes every Tuesday. If you want to tweet along as you listen, feel free to use the hashtag AllThingsTibetPod. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is episode three of All Things Tibet podcast. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. And today we're going to be talking about part two of the pilot. Yes. And I believe we both have a lot of thoughts. We have a lot of thoughts. Taylor has already warned me that she's had a lot of caffeine today. I have. So she's pretty jazzed about this episode. I am too, because like I mentioned to you earlier, I took some very detailed notes. So. Great. I'm excited um, to hear them. Yes, me too. First and foremost, I just want to thank everybody once again. We've been having a great time reading everybody's feedback on social Mm -hmm. media and hearing everyone's thoughts about it and much more again than we had anticipated. So thank you so much to those that have taken the time to listen and let us know what you think of the podcast, because it's been awesome to hear others' thoughts on what we have to say. So So pilot part two. Pilot part two. So we left off with Tibet. The last scene that we saw was them in the planet when everyone was laughing about the penis the pussy the baby yeah except tina she wasn't having it and the first clip that we see of them in the second part of the pilot is bet coming home and tina is kind of surprised to see her because she's on her way out and mm-hmm. again we have a situation where bet didn't tell tina she was coming home tina had already made plans bet was clearly trying to make an attempt to connect And Tina was just like, well, I'm already doing my own thing, so I got to go. Yeah, it's another example of them just totally missing the mark on communicating with each other. It's adorable that Bet came home early to spend time with her. But Mm -hmm. also, Bet, it's kind of unfair of you to be like, hey, Tina, just drop everything you were doing because I dared to come home early for once in my life without even calling you and letting you know. So it's like you said, ships in the night, just totally missing each other. And there's a lot of that in this episode. A lot. Yeah. So that makes a line to Tina right before Tina walks out the door. Like, I guess I should have called. And Tina says, yeah, you should have. The passive aggression that these two managed to show to each other on a regular basis. It's quite impressive. Tina especially is a master. You can see the Southern come out Mm -hmm. in Tina because that bless your heart passive aggression is right Mm -hmm. there constantly with her. This part of the pilot was a little bit more unique to me, I felt like, for Tibet than the first part because I felt like it was really Tibet focused. Whereas there was a lot more, just a lot more scenes with them, especially the two of them. And I think it was because in the first part of the pilot, we were watching them trying to narrow down the sperm donor. So they were kind of all over the place. There's a lot going on in any television pilot, right? Because you have to introduce all of the characters. You have to introduce the main conflict. So setting all of that up, that's why pilots are often two parts. Because Mm -hmm. it takes so long to do all of the setup that you then Mm -hmm. need another 45 minutes or whatever to be like, okay, now here's the plot. And so Tina goes to this spin class and it's not until she's in the locker room and fully nude from the waist up and her instructor is hitting on her 
that she realizes, oh, maybe I should have stayed home and just like connected with Beth. That might have yeah. been a good idea. I she uh, says, Beth came home just to be with me. What was I? I don't know what I was thinking. My favorite part about that is that I feel like that is one of the only times that we actually see in the series what my generation likes to call gay panic. Yes. <laughs> She full yeah. gay panics, and it, it's yeah. hilarious to me. We actually see gay panic twice in this episode. We see it in the sex scene later in this, at the end of, of the pilot. That's true. That's with, true. With Bet. We'll talk about that, but... What I will um, say about this locker room scene, though, that I guess I hadn't really thought about before, but it's interesting to watch Tina kind of struggle with, oh, wow... My partner and I haven't had sex for a really long time. I've got all these freaking hormones going on. And then there's this woman hitting on me. And notice that Tina says no, bet. And yes, I know there's a lot more emotional stuff because of losing the baby and all of that stuff. But I think it is important, maybe because Tina gets so much hate. But I mm -hmm. would like to point out that the opportunity was there and Tina did the right thing. So she came home and Bette was already sleeping and there's a very sweet moment that we see where she takes her glasses off of her face and basically Bette's asleep for the night. But we have yet another day that has gone by that these two are just missing each other completely. It's like they're both longing to be together, but they can't seem to find a way to make it work properly. They can't seem to find a way to connect where they're both going to be honest. They can't be fully present with one another. There's just this constant miss going on. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like you mentioned in the, the first episode that we recorded. There's a lot of telltale signs of what's to come and the problems in their relationship. Even in the pilot, we see a lot of these same themes repeat themselves. Oh, yeah. I made a lot of notes about, even though it's not technically a Tibet scene, about this scene that Bet has with Kit in this episode mm -hmm, because too. A, I think it's a really important scene, but B, they mention Bet's self-destructive tendencies mm -hmm. in that scene. So mm -hmm. for it to come up in the pilot, that is also there right from the beginning. Yep. So after this day is done, they the next scene that we see with Tina and Bet is them sitting poolside and Bet's on her laptop and it's the morning time. And that's basically saying to Tina, like, if you want me to be at therapy, you just let me know. <laughs> Tina reveals that she has actually already made the therapy appointment and yeah. Bet is pissed and just yeah. gets up and walks away. So yeah. I made a note. I said, Bet, you idiot, stop walking away from Tina. I know. Talk to I, her. Well, I had one note that said, hey, look, Bet actually trying. And then literally the next note is, well, Bet trying was nice for the five seconds it lasted. Yeah. So I am going to say again, I'm going to set the record straight. We don't hate Bet by any means, but Bet just really, really makes some awful mistakes, especially when it comes to this situation where they're trying to go to therapy and find a sperm donor and do all these things. There's just so many times where I feel like she could have reacted differently and not been selfish and mm -hmm. had a conversation with this woman that she's been with for seven years. Yeah. And she just storms off and throws a fit. Yeah. The next time we see them is just briefly when they walk into the restaurant. And I made a note that 
Bet is so hot in that scene. Her hair and her outfit are just gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Bet's There's like hair and wardrobe are really, really on point in this episode. Yes. I don't know what it is. I don't know why all of a sudden in the second half of the pilot, hair, makeup, and wardrobe was like, we got to step it up here. She's just stunning in this the scene when they're walking in. And oh, you almost miss it because you don't see them. You see them for no. seconds. I mean, that scene is mainly focused on Marina and Jenny in the bathroom scene or whatever. But when we were talking about their friends having insight into whether or not they were having issues in their relationship, it's clear here that Alice is in the know right away because Alice asked Tina, are you two still fighting? So it just kind of proves that like Alice knows for at least this period of time when they're looking for a sperm donor and going to therapy, like she knows that they're having some issues. Right. And if you think about it later on in the episode, it's Alice that texts Bet and is like, Tina's kind of freaked out. Could you maybe stop by the planet and I don't know, talk to her? And I believe I made the note why is Alice the one that is having, like, why is everything going through Alice? Just talk to each other, please, for the love of God. So Alice is definitely, I mean, we were talking about this, how Alice is sort of this bridge in their relationship. Mm -hmm. And she's already there. Sorry, Alice. And she just seems to be the only one that's paying close attention. I feel like Shane's just yeah. doing her own thing. And yeah. Dana's just so concerned about being outed as gay. And Kit is is kind of in the picture, but not as involved as she will be later on in the series. So, um, Yeah, it's weird to not have Kit be that involved yet. It mm-hmm. feels weird. It feels wrong. I understand why. Mm-hmm. Particularly because I think in the first few episodes, there's remnants of who Kit's character was originally Mm -hmm. that are still kind of lingering around which is why she's a bit more of a mess and a bit more really sort of involved in the dysfunction of the industry and stuff like that but sure it feels weird to not have her constant reassuring stable presence there yeah those who don't know that the show was initially supposed to be called Earthlings and Kit's character was going to be totally different from how it sounded she was going to be more of like the center of the show it sounded to me like she was almost going to be like the narrator almost Mm -hmm. like she was going to be this kind of not omniscient but presence that was kind of up on everything and knew everything and guided us through the different stories yeah and she and and that were not sisters originally and And kit was gay originally And I don't know how successful that show would have been. Again, I don't know a ton about it. I've only watched a couple of clips, but Kit basically had the chart tattooed on her back rather than how how Alice has it like on her board. It would have been interesting, but I don't think they would have made it as many seasons as the L word. No. Um, Maybe it would have been a different show. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Much different. So again, we only see Tina and Beth very briefly in the restaurant scene and then we cut to them in therapy and Beth is late to therapy again. And Tina's mm-hmm. kind of once again in this position where she's making an excuse for Beth. Like she said she'd be here, but it was last minute. And Dan's kind of like, okay, well, should we take this opportunity to just talk you and I, but next thing you know, Beth comes flying in the door. Which I think is so appropriate way to smack us in the face with the metaphor, Eileen. The fact that, because what he says is, why don't we take spend some time talking about you? Mm-hmm. 
which Tina never does. And I no. believe what I wrote was this would have been so good for Tina and they could have actually given her a bit of backstory. Eileen, why did you not develop her character? I mean, I know it's the pilot and you don't usually get into backstory until later on, but mm -hmm. as someone who is so constantly hungry for Tina content, mm -hmm. I'm like, this would have been the perfect opportunity. But then Bet has to come in and be like, I'm here. It's all about me. I found a donor, even though I didn't talk to you about it at all. Problem mm -hmm. solved. Aren't I amazing? It makes me wonder if Tina was supposed to be, was the premise that Eileen was just going to kind of have Tina be Bet's partner. And that was going to be the extent of her involvement in the show. Did she ever really have plans for Tina to step into her own and, and do all these things early on? Because I feel like given the fact that she is literally second on the cast list yeah. and she was in almost all of the episodes with the exception mm -hmm. of the time that she was with Henry, why did we never find out anything about her backstory until we find out this big bombshell at the very end of season six. It just really doesn't make much sense. I think the only thing that I've seen about, I don't know, let's call her Earthlings, Tina. I don't know yeah. if it was still that at that point. And I don't even know when this changed. But I do remember reading a thing that Tina was originally very political, mm. which is fascinating to me. Sure. I mean, you can see glimpses of it later on when she starts working for that nonprofit and mm -hmm. getting involved in different things like that. And then even in season three, when everyone's favorite senator shows up and Tina's the one that knows what bills she worked on and what she yep. helped with and stuff. And Bet's just kind of like the lesbian. <laughs> so I think that's kind of interesting. It's just weird because it feels like it's one of those things that they were like, oh, we need someone to be political every once in a while. Eh, let's just throw it on Tina. Like, it's not consistent. I just wonder, was that back when they weren't sure whether Jennifer was going to be playing Bet or Tina? Because mm -hmm. that was the thing, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I just want to know, like, when did it change and why? It definitely did settle on, well, now Tina's just this domestic housewife. And one of the biggest failures in that, the fact that we don't find out, A, a lot about Tina's backstory throughout the series, and B, we don't get a lot of moments where Tina is opening up to somebody about the decisions that she makes. Like, for instance we have to kind of put a lot of the pieces together on the choices that she made when she was with Henry. I mean, she has this moment where she talks about and she says, I'm having these feelings about men, but her jumping into a relationship again, we don't ever have a moment where she's like sitting with Alice and telling her, I need to do this because of X, Y, Z. And I think that sets up the fans to make assumptions about why she did what she did which I think can contribute to the dislike for Tina that many have. Because we seem to get, anytime Bet makes a move, we seem to get justification for why it is, or we get moments of insight into her decision-making across the board, across the series. But we don't have that luxury with Tina. No, at all. I definitely agree. And I think, I think that to understand Tina's character, you have to do a lot more work. 
Yes. You have to piece a lot of things together and fill in gaps with things that you think make sense. Mm -hmm. And you have to work from this place of big reservoir of empathy, which is not Mm -hmm. to say that I'm calling Tina haters heartless monsters, Mm -hmm. but I think maybe that might be why it's so much easier for people to hate Tina than to hate that. Because like Mm -hmm. you said, we get justification for everything Bet does. We get justification for why Bet sleeps with Candace. Every single thing Bet does, even if it's Felicity, we get justification for Felicity too. Every mm-hmm. dumb decision Bet makes mm-hmm. is at least understandable because mm-hmm. you know why she does it. Tina, who knows? Just nothing. And I think one of the other things that gets missed is that they do talk briefly in season one about how bet is the first woman that tina's ever been with but we don't get to hear a lot of reflection from tina on a how scary of a decision that was and b like acclimating into that world and i think what i could really appreciate about gen q is when tina and angie are having that conversation you see some of that reflection come through from tina that we never saw in the original series Like even to hear her say, because I just watched this clip last night, I met your mom when I was really young and we fell in love. That moment is so sweet to me. I just feel like we don't get a lot of that. And I feel like if you're not a Tibet fan, that might also be one of the reasons why there is so much focus on them being toxic on that side of the fandom, because we're only seeing this. We don't see a lot of moments where they're, we see some more towards the end of the series or they're genuine and they're expressing how they feel about each other. Because we know as Tibet fans and believers that they love each other and they have this chemistry. But sometimes, like you said, if you have to work to find that, yeah, it's not gonna, it, you're not going to be able to as easily sell it to some fans. So Bet's late to, she's late coming into therapy. She immediately takes control of the room and needs to let Tina know that she found a sperm donor. Yeah, and she has already told said sperm donor to show up at the house tomorrow so Tina can take him to the cryobank. Yes, which I have a lot of issues with for a number of reasons. So Bet is the only one who knows this man. She sets Tina up to meet him alone. Now, whether or not Marcus was who he is, which is well over six feet, a big, broad black man, or he was five foot Asian man with, you know, the smallest body structure out there. Bet should have been there to make the connection. It was another miss by her that she wasn't present for that whole process because think of how much differently it would have gone down if Bet had actually just been present. It would have been so much better. Yes. For literally everyone involved. <laughs> yes. That's what I wrote down. Bet, why wouldn't you do a meet and greet? Yeah. Why does it automatically have to jump into, he's meeting you at the house this is done. I've already made it happen. Like, why, right. why wouldn't you just say, Hey, I found this guy. I think he's going to be a great fit. He's coming to the house tomorrow. We'll meet him together. Right. It's gotta, it's gotta just jump right into you're going to the cryo bank. We're making this happen. End of story. And then right. that is so like put off that Tina is immediately on board with that. I feel so bad for Tina in that scene. And I think it is a great, moment for her character because I think it's one of the first glimpses of her anxiety that we see. This is much more your area of expertise than mine, but given that Tina mentioned Xanax like 
many times throughout the course of the series, it is pretty clear, at least to me, as someone with a severe anxiety disorder, that Tina mm-hmm. probably has some pretty severe anxiety issues going on oh, yeah. of her own. And it's so interesting to me in that scene because Tina literally has to go have the shortest panic attack ever because she can't get it all out because she knows Marcus is sitting right there. So she just has to go say fuck a couple of times and then be like, yeah, I'm totally fine. I'm not freaking out at all. Mm-hmm. And then Bet wonders why she never expresses her emotions. And I think, you know, one of the things that actually stands out to me now, it didn't even dawn on me because I'm just listening to what you're saying. And then also just looking at my notes where I put like Tina can't even hide her shock and and awe of the situation. Marcus picks up on that immediately, which let's not forget that this is, this is Angie's DNA. And I think that speaks to the fact that like he can pick up on that and he's empathetic of it because a lot of times in the show, the men can kind of be put down to be these, just idiots, right? They don't know what they're doing. They're just kind of flailing around or misogynistic or whatever. But (laughs) yeah, but Marcus is not like that. And I think it's a very touching moment when he actually recognizes that Tina's really nervous. And then when Tina's like, it's fine. It's all, you know, it's it's, it's all good. It doesn't matter that you're black. And he's like, well, I can't answer that for you. (laughs) Like, it's so realistic. Props to him for not immediately being like, maybe we should not do this today. Maybe you should call Bet, you know, talk it out or whatever. He just stays so calm. And Mm -hmm. I have to wonder... Again, I say this as literally the whitest person on planet Earth, but it makes me think of this conversation that Kit and Bet have a little bit later, where Kit essentially talks about how things have been easier for Bet because she is white passing. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder, is Marcus picking up on that? Yes, he's empathetic. He's probably had to deal with people looking at him like that his entire life. Whereas it's not something that Bet has ever had to contemplate. And we don't ever see, we actually never see Bet and Marcus interact in person. We only ever see Marcus interact with Tina. Oh my God, you're right. But I literally never even thought about that, but you're so right. This nature versus nurture discussion that's been ongoing for centuries, basically. Maybe not centuries, yeah. but a long time. I think it is true that while Angie is very much like both of her moms I think that the fact that every side that we see of Marcus and we don't see him a ton he just appears to be this very empathetic man and I think Mm -hmm. that even though as far as we know up until the point that she's a teenager she's never met him Mm -hmm. she has some of those same qualities yeah which great that they're finally following through on one consistent idea on the in the L word Good job, Gen Q, for having continuity with one entire plot point. Are we going to talk about Tina mispronouncing her own name at the sperm bank? Because I literally put Tina Kennard. That ain't your name, baby. (laughs) Pilots are so weird, and I know that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But it it bothers me that of all people to mispronounce it, it had to be Tina herself. <laughs> See, the thing that those of you who don't work on film sets may not know is that there is this individual on set called the script supervisor mm-hmm. whose job it is to literally be like, hey, you pronounced your character's name wrong. Yeah, And I just, I don't know how that got 
lost in translation. And I don't know why they didn't just pull Laurel in to dub over it to fix it. But I mean, I guess her last name doesn't really come. Well, no, it does because Melvin uses it. Mm-hmm. And it's Kennard by then. So maybe that they didn't actually know how they were going to pronounce it until yeah later. Which, really which again, I'm like, it. I'm pretty sure Eileen was on set a lot. Just ask her. Ask Something the, was missed there. Yeah. I know it's a little thing and it's not worth getting angry over it just i it just makes me giggle because it's like how how did everybody working on that set miss that right right this is just another little thing that kind of made me giggle is that they called tina having to have a c-section in the pilot oh yeah which i think is yeah which she has to have a c-section for like a totally different reason i think but yeah I just thought it was kind of funny that she was like, you're probably going to have to have a C-section. And just knowing, yeah, she did. You were correct, cryobank lady. Yeah. And so after they go to the cryobank, Tina is at the planet. She's distraught about what has happened. And even though at that point, the sperm is just on ice, like they haven't done the insemination, Tina's clearly processing a lot. It's got to be, what, eight or nine o'clock at night. So they haven't even seen each other. Since so Tina had this happen early morning, we have hours have now gone past. You they haven't spoke clearly. And again, the only reason Bet is there is because Alice sent her a text mm-hmm. being like, "Hey," and we don't know what she said. All Bet said was it was vague but urgent. And I guess as someone who has been I've been with my husband for over fifteen years. I cannot imagine having such a big appointment like that. It's like such a big moment in time. Going through it alone, number one. Mm -hmm. She met Marcus alone. They went to the car bank alone, whatever. And then they don't even talk until hours later. It just doesn't even add up. Tina was clearly upset. She didn't want to talk to Bet. She was avoiding her. But Bet doesn't even like come and find her until eight or nine o'clock maybe. It's, yeah. it's a little uh, suspect. Yeah, I think it's another example of Tina sucking at talking and Bet sucking at listening. Because why does Bet not think to ask? And Tina clearly just doesn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Which I would imagine is probably why Alice had to be the one to send the text. Because I think Tina was probably <laughs> just like, she even says when Bet walks in, what are you doing here? In kind of this way of like, oh God, I really don't want to talk to you right now. Why are you here? And I think Tina has valid concerns. And I think that Beth's reaction is just natural because, you know, she's, she's offended and she is on the defense mode once Tina starts expressing it. But again, we have the situation where they're kind of just talking at each other. They're not communicating about what is going on here. Tina really felt like she was left out of this major decision and wasn't communicated to on it. And Bet is viewing it like it really shouldn't be that big of a deal because I am black and this child looking like me isn't going to be the worst thing. But again, they're not, they're not seeking to understand each other in that moment. They're just kind of airing out their grievances with one another. They're not listening to one another at all. No. What I think (laughs) is interesting is that Bet says that they talked about it, quote, right in the very beginning 
A, how long have they been trying to have a baby? Has it been the three years that their sex life has been shitty? Has it mm-hmm. been a couple of months? But also mm-hmm. the fact that, that however long it's been, it's been, I would say, at least a matter of months, if not years, mm-hmm. that Bet thinks that because they had this one conversation way back when they first started talking about having a baby, that Tina should just remember that, even though, again, every other donor candidate we have seen has been white, that Tina should not be shocked because they exactly. talked about it way back in the day. Yeah, exactly. That is the fact of the matter. Every other person that they have, that we've at least seen them talk to about being a potential sperm donor up until then has been white. And maybe they agreed on it early on, but it's obviously not something that they checked in about. And right. I guess we're talking about 2002. This is, well, when they filmed it was 2002, was released in 2004. I mean, this was a little bit back in time, but even as someone who has looked into adopting as a white woman with a white husband, we have also had the conversation of we're not fit to raise a child that is not white. There's a level there of not being able to understand the experience, not that we're going to understand everything that a white child is going to go through either. But like Tina says, it is a lot of otherness to put on someone. And Mm -hmm. when we also look at a point that you had made earlier, and that there's a lot on the line for Tina here, like there's a lot at stake. And she knows that they're having issues. I think to some extent, Tina was almost preparing herself that she may have had to raise this child alone. Yes, I agree. Because Tina actually raises that as a concern, right? She says, look at me. I don't know what it means to be Black. I don't Mm -hmm. feel prepared to raise a Black child. And Beth's like, well, I think I can help with that. But look at their life even right now you know, not knowing what's going to come down the line and that at least for a lot of her pregnancy, Tina is going to have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. Even not knowing that, Bet is so consumed in her work and in her world mm-hmm. and just assumes that Tina is going to do all of the domestic work all of the time. Mm-hmm. That to me is still basically doing it alone. Yeah. So I I think Tina expected, if things don't change, I am going to be raising this child mostly by myself, and I will Mm -hmm. not be able to answer the questions that they have about Mm -hmm. being Black. Sure. I I will give a lot of props to Beth because, you know, later on, once Angie's born, we only see her in being a strong great mother. I don't think that there's ever a point in time where she's absent or she doesn't live up to the, the standard that maybe even Tina suspected that like she wasn't going to be around or that she was going to miss a lot of things. She's very devoted to her daughter. But on the flip side, based on what Tina was seeing at that point, yeah, she had a lot of valid concerns. Yeah. And again, it was deeper than just, you didn't tell me that Marcus was Black. There's so many other things going on with them at that time that they're not communicating that this was just something that kind of made everything come to a head. So the next thing that we see is Bet going to Kit's. And one of the notes that I made was that it's fitting that Bet tells Kit that Tina sees what she wants to see. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? Pod me, kettle, Bet. Like, yeah. my what? favorite is 
My favorite, though, is that before that, the passive aggression when Tina's like on the phone with it must be Alice, I guess. A, I love that their friends invited Tina out but didn't invite Beth. And the fact, like when Tina's like, where are you going? And Beth's just like, I don't know. And wanders off. Like, Beth, what? What are you doing? And then obviously she goes to Kit and has this wonderful, wonderful scene, which I think for me is when I really kind of fell in love with Kit as a character. Yeah. I see. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead of my notes. So I I did write down that we also had the therapy scene when Dan is, is saying that Bet feels like Tina is rejecting Bet's identity by not wanting to have a black child. And then yeah, Bet has this moment where again she's throwing a hissy fit because she sees Tina's ovulating. Tina didn't tell her. Shocking. Yeah. Tina didn't tell Bet something. I am shocked. Yeah. Well, especially because they end that therapy scene with Dan being like, you know what that says to me? And Bet being like, we're not ready to have children together. I wouldn't tell her either. If I had left therapy with my partner being like, we're clearly not ready to start a family together, I wouldn't go and be like, hey, babe, I'm ovulating. Like, no. Yeah. Well, and so Bet is rightfully upset because once again, they're not talking. And I made a side note here that said, can you two get on the same fucking page for once? Like just yep. one time, please. Okay, yeah. so you have this intense therapy session where Bet says, okay, we're not ready to have children. So was there any follow-up conversation? Did you guys sit in the car silent on the way home? Did you say what the next step was going to be from here? It just... Clearly not. <sighs> so yeah, Kit and Bet have this wonderful scene. Well, we the best in the pilot. One of my favorite moments from that particular scene is that Kit does not let Bet walk out. No. Because once again, Bet's ready to just say, fine. And throw a fit and leave. And yeah. Kit stops her. Good for Kit. My favorite, though, is that Bet doesn't even take responsibility for that. When Kit says, we have to stop doing this to each other, and Bet's like, we? And Kit's just like, okay, fine. I have to stop doing it. Yeah. You're missing the point, Bet. And in some ways, I, I made a note that Tina could take a note from Kit on that. Stop letting Bet get away with just walking away. Yes. And I think and, she does and then, later on. And that's one of the things that I think makes their relationship better if not quite where it should be at the end of the original series yeah because that is another thing that we we really do see a lot is that bet just wants she gets into fight or flight mode and she just wants to flight she just wants to go bye i'm not dealing with this but goodbye yeah and again good for kit for not letting bet walk out and then kit has a wonderful line where she tells bet you have so much love in your life why are you trying to tear down that bridge Mm-hmm. So we know right away that Bet is destructive. And the fact that Bet says, I don't know, I think is one of Bet's most honest moments in the entire series. And I think it's very telling that she actually has no idea. And I also think another thing that I really think is important about that scene that I kind of mentioned it before is that Kit has this ability to somehow convey Tina's perspective to Bet. that actually makes her listen instead of when it's I don't know but I do like when she talks about maybe you've let people see what they want to see and maybe it's been to your advantage to be able to have this fancy house and this fancy career and everything how many of those opportunities did you get because you are white passing and how many because Kit cannot do that I think it was 
important. A, I think it was important that that came from Kit because I think it needs to come from a not white passing person of color. But Mm. I think it's also very telling that maybe Bet does kind of, and not even intentionally, it's just kind of like what we were talking about with Marcus. It's never something that she's had as an obstacle in her life and that she does have these particular things that she wants that are easier for her to get because of her privilege of being white passing. And I just don't think that she's ever really been in many situations where people are saying no to her. I mean, she has this father who is devoted to her. There's clearly, we see and know from the very beginning that Bet has a much stronger relationship with Melvin than Kit does. You know, she is the apple of Melvin's eye. And when we look at her relationship history up until we find out more as the series goes on, but what we know is that Bet is with Alice and then Bet sees Tina and Bet wants Tina and it's, it's game over. And pushing forward in her career. I mean, we just know that about her, that she's just going to continue to push until she gets what she wants. And she hasn't, up until that point, it doesn't look like she's been met with much resistance. No. What I can always appreciate about Kit's character is that Kit has such an amazing way of bringing that back to reality to make her see that that the world is not according to the way that you see it. Because she needs that reality check and, and she needs to hear it from somebody that she trusts. And I know that Kit and Bet, they have a complicated history too, but I think that that really values what Kit has to say. Absolutely. So we are now at the scene where they're at Bet's, she was in like a, like a, yeah, at the gallery, she's doing like a talk and Tina is sitting in the audience next to the guy that they end up bringing home to have the threesome. Whose name, I put it in here, is... Hold on. I didn't even know he had a name. I know. He has a whole name. And I I wrote that. His name is Beck Bishop. What the fuck, Eileen? (laughs) And most importantly, their future child's biological father's name would have been Beck Bishop. Which would have been just weird. (laughs) Thank God that didn't pan out. Jesus Christ. Okay, so Tina makes the right move. She goes to the gallery to watch Bet do this talk. And almost right away, this guy starts, excuse me, Beck starts hitting on Tina. You know, they're sitting in the crowd and he turns to her and says, your girlfriend. He says, she's awesome, your girlfriend. Yeah. And she says, sometimes I forget. So there's this brief moment where we get some hope for these two because finally, this is one of the profound moments in season one where they're coming back together. They're connecting again. Yes. Well, and it's notable to mention that this is the scene that made the Showtime executives ship to bed. Yep. Because it was after this one. Yeah. They were like, wait, is that little like nose touch all we're getting? Yeah. (laughs) We need more. Yep. So after Beck presents, they are talking to Beck post-show, Mr. Bishop, and uh, he's hitting on them pretty hard. And Beck pulls Tina away and says, I know you're ovulating. She starts to alluding to the fact, let's bring this guy home. And <laughs> Tina asks, well, what about Dan? And Bet says, fuck Dan Foxworthy. Again, I want to reference that come season five, 
bet is set that Dan is the one that is going to give them the answers of whether or not they should get back together for good. And season one bet cannot stand Dan. I really want to know how that appointment went after the elevator scene. Like, did they even have it? What yeah. happened? I think did they need sit to... down and actually talk about shit after that? Or like... I think you need to write a fanfic on that. Okay. Let's collaborate. Let's collaborate on that one. Anywho, that moment is super tender. I wrote a note that the way Bet rubs her hand down Tina's face, my heart. Mm-hmm. The chemistry is just excellent. And it's interesting to me that all of a sudden, Bet's just completely fine with it just being this random dude. Tina's like, is he a good artist? And Pet's like, who cares? You, you do. <laughs> They've only interviewed artists up until this point, And now all of a sudden, I don't even know if he, I don't even know if he, he is an actual artist. Was he an artist? We don't actually know that. We know his first and last name, but we don't know his occupation. We know yeah. his first and last name that they never say, but we never get confirmation if he's actually an artist. No, which, so, I mean, not to ruin the tenderness of this moment because it is really beautiful and I love it, but also... It's just so the cognitive dissonance of Bet all of a sudden just being like, it's okay, baby, whatever you want. This guy is here and he seems into us. So let's just do it, whatever. Yeah. And I also feel like this is kind of Bet's way of trying to really get back in Tina's good graces, just surrendering to the process, knowing how important it is to Tina that they do this, that they find a, a sperm donor like it kind of goes back to the point that Bet would do anything for Tina at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Anything. If it meant they had to find a random dude off the street, if that was their only option for a sperm donor, that's what they yeah. would have done. I also think it's really cute watching control freak Bet Porter try so hard to be impulsive. Oh, yeah. It's really adorable, I think. It just because- doesn't come naturally for her. No, but she's trying. And that's, I think that's one of the things that makes me kind of come back to Tibet over and over again is that for all of Bet's flaws, mm-hmm. she loves that woman with her entire being. And she tries so fucking hard. She does. And it's, it's kind of adorable to watch. I think that you're definitely right in that. I also, what I can appreciate about Bet's love for Tina and Tina's approach with Bet is that Tina is not the type of partner to like scream down Bet's neck, like, you need to change this or you need to change that or you need to do this more. I feel like Tina, we start seeing more in the later seasons, has a way of letting Bet know she has these problem areas, but that Tina loves her so much despite that. I mean, even when they're sitting in the backyard in season four and Bet and Jody had just broken up and she she's comforting her, Tina says, like, she's telling her what all her issues are. But she says to her, I would take that any day over a boring man. There is this pull that they have on one another that they love each other so much, even though they know that they both have a lot of flaws. And I think that's beautiful. I mean, I don't think that, I don't think that Tina has ever put Bet in a situation where she said you need to change or it's over. Right. Even when they're in like the divorce proceedings or when they're sitting with their lawyers and figuring out how things are going to go in season two. And she says, I want things to be different, but you can tell that she's saying that from a place of like, we need to heal. Exactly. She doesn't say you need to be different. She says mm-hmm. things need to be different. Yep. 
even when they broke up in season three, at the start of season three, Tina very easily could have just said, I'm out. I can't get over the fact that you cheated on me. I don't want to do this anymore. But she never blamed Bet in the process when she was leaving, ever. She said, this is on me. She took ownership of it. Yep. So I'm going to once again make a plea that if, if you're listening to this and you're a true Tina hater, please, please go back and really watch these scenes with them because Tina is made out to be someone that she's just not. And I will always fight for her. And I know you will too. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... They get home and they start this threesome. We finally get to see Tina and Bet just full on making out the yeah. first time. In the gallery scene, they both are just so, so beautiful. I mean, that's those scenes of them, just everything about them, their hair, the lighting, their makeup. Again, they really brought it. Yeah. My only the criticism pilot. is Tina's coat. What the fuck was that coat? They looked so good. <laughs> and then Tina was just wearing like a patchwork blanket. Wait, when, when she wore a coat when they came before they came in the house? Yeah. Like, oh, I didn't even notice car, it. And Tina is wearing, it literally looks like somebody took a blanket and made it a jacket. Oh. And it's like long too. It's, re- I'm just like, it doesn't even go with the rest of her outfit. And I'm just like, why we will forgive it uh yeah. cynthia summers was the costume designer for i think since the start of season one in the series of the l word i joke that she is she's a good friend of mine because i sent her a message once on instagram about them and uh, <laughs> she responded to me so <gasps> thank you cynthia summers you had a lot more wins than losses as far as their work very goes. true i mean i think the real answer to what the fuck is going on with that coat is that Either Laurel was cold and they just kind of grabbed a coat. It could have been Laurel's coat. Who knows? But they just kind of grabbed a coat and were like, here, Laurel, put this on. Or also it could have been, it was 2002 and my 26-year-old brain thinks early aughts fashion looks really weird anyway. So. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, they made made a, a tried and true effort. To make it work with Mr. Beck Bishop, but it didn't. It really did. I think one of the things I wrote in my notes was, did Showtime think we needed a sex scene with a guy? Granted, I realized that, again, I was, I can do math, eight in 2002. <laughs> so maybe this was how things worked. But I don't feel like that's how any lesbians had babies. Yeah. Like people that were actually in lesbian relationships. Those of you in the know, please correct me if I'm wrong. Please tell us. We don't know. It just felt like, again, sort of this overarching thing with season one. I think it's important to remember Showtime kind of forced male writers into the writer's room. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was sort of a lot more white male heteronormativity present in the first Mm -hmm. season which I think Mm -hmm. is why it feels so different to literally every other season of the show but I just wonder it was this like oh our lesbian couple is having their first love scene together better stick a dude in there just so I don't know the dudes that are like watching this lesbian show (laughs) don't Mm -hmm. feel isolated which like wasn't that the entire point of the character of Tim in the first place but 
that's a tangent. It just seemed like kind of a stereotype that they were like, let's have a threesome and that's how our child will be conceived. Well, and so they try to make it happen. You know, Bet says, because he proposes that he's going to have sex with Bet, and Bet says it's not going to happen that way. Which is hilarious. <laughs> and so they try to get him to have sex with Tina without a condom, and they epically fail at trying to make yeah. this happen. And I was, I always think this when I watch this scene, like they could have made so many other excuses. Like they could have said <laughs> Tina was on the pill. They could have said that they don't like protected. I mean, they could have said a number of things, right? But they just didn't have a reason. So of course he was suspicious. Yeah. yeah I don't think they said anything. He was no. like, why? And they were like, you don't have we to don't use wa- it. Like, yeah. what? We don't want you to. <laughs> yeah. Also, okay. I would just like to say that Bet's complete disinterest in him, that entire scene. Oh, yeah. Gives me life. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I wrote a note here. This is a note to our friend Phoebe. I've said, if I haven't said it yet, Jen and Laurel are so hot. I want to eat a wall. <laughs> <laughs> so we wrap back around and they're laying in bed and talking about what they just did yeah and just kind of highlighting the fact that that was so spontaneous in that moment they tried yeah they did i love i love when the guy says why is it whenever dykes want to have sex with a guy it's only because they're trying to steal his sperm and next to that i quoted that and next to it i wrote i because they're lesbians yeah they don't enjoy having sex with men yeah So when they're laying down, he leaves and they're laying down and just talking and Bet asks Tina, like, were you turned on by him? And Tina says, nope, this is you. And Mm -hmm. finally, Tina gets fucking laid. Finally, she'd been waiting for days. At that point, probably years. Fucking years, Brittany. (laughs) Now, granted you can have like a sexless marriage and still have sex every now and then. So it's, it's not fair to say that it had been three full years, but I'm guessing right. sex was very infrequent for them. Right. And so, probably not very good. Yeah. So I love their first sex scene. I, I think that I said, number one, how is it fair that they're both so good looking? They both play the hell out of a sex scene. And yeah. number two, how is it possible that these two women had so much chemistry when they had essentially just met? It's just, there's no comparison, especially yeah. because we see the Jenny and Marina sex scene and we see Tina and Beth and it's like, fucking day. Oh. exactly. Yeah. One thing in that scene that I think is, is sort of significant from that scene is when Tina says, I'm so lucky to have you because A, it's cute. <laughs> B, I would argue if anything, it's the other way around <laughs> and See, I think it does show that I feel like Tina does in a way kind of have bet up on this pedestal that she doesn't really get knocked off of until Candace. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is because she was the first woman she was with. Maybe it's, you know, who knows? But I do mm-hmm. think that line kind of made me realize, oh, yeah. Tina definitely kind of, for all of their problems, 
Tina definitely has rose-colored glasses on as far as Bet's concerned for most of the first series. Absolutely. And I, I think that we see it, that is even more evident when Tina is telling the story to Jenny, Shane, and Alice about how they first met. And mm-hmm. she says, am I really going to go to my grave having only slept with one woman? And she thinks, I, what more could I want? That's everything. Yeah, I think that the, the scene itself it was a good one to start off on that they were reconnecting and Jen and Laurel talk about Jen especially talks about how Tibet sex scenes always have purpose Mm -hmm. and this one is is clearly reconnecting yes the last scene that we see of them in the pilot is the infamous porch scene and Mm -hmm. we see pictures of this like I feel like this is probably the most used photo I see of Tibet everywhere them yeah. sitting on the porch and I think one of the most touching moments of the series is that it comes full circle because we see almost an identical scene at the end of the series with Shane coming in and talking to them and and Beck kissing Tina's hand at the end of the episode it's just oh, I love it it's so good it's just and I think perfect. that's the people that are really really adamant about how much this representation matters mm-hmm. that's a perfect example I think, of what matters about it. Yeah. Because especially when you think about all of these different shows that abuse their queer characters, essentially, and the barrier gaze trope and all of these different patterns in media, to have this couple that, yes, has problems, yes, they need to work through some shit, but at the end of the day is just soft and domestic with each other sitting on their front porch in the morning, just being utterly sickeningly in love. We never see that with gay couples. No. And the the parallel that we see in the first episode to the last episode of the series, these porch moments, you can see that by the time we get to season six, the very end, there's just a, a lighter air around Tibet than there yeah. was season one. And I think that shows the growth that they went through. I love that first porch moment. And I don't want to take away from the fact that I do, but you can almost still pick up a sense of hesitancy with them. The looks in their eyes and they're interacting and it's soft, but there's just still, you can still tell that there's so much that's being left unsaid. It's like they both know that they have, they have to work through their shit. But I think that there is, the hesitancy because they don't want this to be over. And they're not in a place where they can work on their shit in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. So I think they both subconsciously at least realize that working through their shit will probably require it ending or at least them taking a break just because of where they are at that moment. They know well enough to know that it's inevitable that if they really start to work on their shit, that the relationship is going to be over. And I think that might be some of the reason why Bet is so hesitant to therapy because she knows it's a big risk and that Tina's eyes might be a little bit more open to the fact that they do have a lot of these issues and can they work through them? Because Bet definitely prefers the la la la, I can't hear you approach to conflict management. (laughs) Yeah. Which, like, fair. I'm like that, too, a lot of the time. I get it. I just, (laughs) it doesn't help. There's a lot of highs and lows in season one, for sure, for them. 
this particular episode showed a lot about them as a couple, their patterns and how they've navigated through life thus far together. And, and you're right. I mean, Tina definitely is guilty of wearing the rose-colored glasses with that. See, I'm trying to be fair. Oh, you are. I'm trying to balance it out a little bit. <laughs> you are. You are. Absolutely. Tina is not without faults. No. Not at all. No. Especially season one, Tina. She had yeah. a lot of growing to do. And it's clear that, again, fast forward to Gen Q when she's having this conversation with Angie, that it's a lifelong struggle for her to find herself. As we kind of explained, our intent for this podcast was always to go kind of episode by episode, but we have the advantage that we know where they are now. So there will tend to be this kind of we're looking back, but we're also looking where we're at presently and looking to the future. So this is probably just going to be how we roll moving forward. It's just going to say, basically what Brittany's trying to say is get used to these tangents. They're not going away. Yeah. There's just no way to contain all that we have to say about certain topics and not go into other parallels in the show and other instances of time where we see these same patterns and behaviors happen. Yeah. And I think it's important to look at, yes, we're doing episode analysis and diving into the minutia of the story, but it's equally as important to take a step back and look at the story as a whole. And it is one of the greatest gifts about there being Gen Q now that the scope of it is so much broader because it has come back 10 years later. So this is Gun All Things to Bet. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. And we'll see you next week. This has been an episode of All Things to Bet podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. At this time, we do not have any sponsorships, but if you're interested in sponsoring us, please send us an email at allthingstobet at gmail.com. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under All Things to Bet podcast. And you can check out our main podcast profile at anchor.fm slash all things Tibet. We post new episodes every Tuesday and we send all of our love to the Tibet fandom for their support during this time as we get this brand new podcast off the ground. We will see you next week.